Well, please have your Bibles open to Hebrews chapter 10, and we're going to look at verses 24 and 25 together this evening. Now, thank you for your welcome and for your greetings, and uh, likewise, I bring greetings from Dudley Baptist Church. They are praying for me, I know, as I come to minister God's Word among you and uh, send their greetings there from, from Dudley. It's the center of the universe, don't you know, Dudley? So uh, if you ever want to come to Dudley, do come and visit us there and you'd be most welcome. And hopefully all of this social distancing and all that will be soon gone behind us and we'll be free to meet together again. And it really, it's that thought really and, and the context in which we have been meeting over these last 15 months or so that that sort of forms the backdrop of my thinking and the message that I want to bring to you this evening. I want to think with you about uh, the, the theme of gathering for worship. I uh, suppose that we had hoped somewhat that by now the restrictions might have been lifted, but still uh, we endure under them. Uh, it's been challenging, hasn't it? It's been difficult. Uh, we uh, weren't able to, to meet at all uh, initially, were we, under that first lockdown? In fact, there's been so many different stages in the lockdown, and, and you here in Wales and us there in England, and it's all been different things and trying to keep hold of it. And we've got friends in Scotland, it's different there as well, and uh, it's so difficult to keep a handle on it all. And I, I think back over these last 15 months, and it all seems a bit of a, a, bit of a blur, but uh, if you go back to those those early months, it was such a uh, thing, wasn't it? Lockdown, complete lockdown, and uh, nobody able to meet with anybody at all, and what a difficult thing that was. Well, here we are. We are at least able to meet in this uh, limited way now. Uh, we are thankful for the technology that uh, we have that enables us and has enabled us to uh, continue some way of, of worshiping together in some form uh, over these last months, and uh, it's great that uh, we can do that. We, uh, we as, as a church in, in Dudley, we're not quite as advanced as, as you are here. We, we just do a, an audio uh, broadcast, um, and as a, in those first three months, uh, it was, it was really, it was just my family. We, we would go up to the, to the church and uh, um, my, my son would play the, uh, the, the keyboard and we would sing as a family and uh, my daughter would do the broadcast, uh, pressing the buttons on the odd occasion where it didn't work. Oh dear, poor Lydia, trying to cope with, with that. Uh, she's only a young teenager. And, but we're so thankful that we could, we could do that. But oh, to go there and, and we were just the only ones. And to think that the, the, the place which would have been filled with God's people worshipping on the, on the Lord's day wasn't, uh, wasn't filled like that. And, and, and you'll have had the similar kind of feelings and experiences uh, here as well, I'm sure. Well, it certainly has forced us, hasn't it, to, to explore these alternative ways of doing things uh, with the technology and so on. Um, I've been mightily impressed by some of our older folk who, who wouldn't know even where the on button was with a, with a, a computer or a, um, one of those pad things or whatever, um, but they've, 
uh, with the help of maybe church members or family, they've managed to get themselves one of these little uh, gizmos, and then they've been able to link in with, with the Zoom meeting. I mean, uh, two years ago, I had no idea what Zoom was, and probably you didn't either, but we all, it's the common language now, isn't it? We, we Zoom here and we Zoom there, and uh, it's, we're thankful. Uh, in fact, I don't know, but I'm sure you found this as well here, that... Um, we, we've had people who are connected with our fellowship in, in Dudley actually joining us on, on Zoom in our midweek meeting uh, who are in different parts of the world. Um, so we've been able to have missionary speakers come and just, uh, they haven't had to leave their homes. They've just come and spoken to us over, over Zoom. And, and there's a gentleman we, we, we know who's uh, serving the Lord in India. And uh, so he will not infrequently join us on a, a, a Thursday night for the Zoom meeting. And uh, that's, so we're thankful for, for these things. But, but it's not the real thing, is it? Uh, it's, it's not where we want to be long term, I don't think. Uh, so we're hoping to, to move out of this. But uh, even before all of this uh, pandemic and, and pushing us online in, in certain ways, uh, I, I had heard about churches that were, or called, they called themselves churches, that are exclusively online. So uh, they, they have no physical location at all. Uh, they have a, a dedicated online pastor, and all, all their, their meetings are therefore online, this cyber congregation, and they have interactive chats and, and so on. And, uh, and I th- suppose as we have had to do some of these things during lockdown, now the question arises in our minds, well, is that how we will perhaps continue? Maybe do we really need to meet together? Or, or do we meet to, need to meet as often as we, we used to? Um, and so these are some of the questions in our, our minds. Uh, people in the world are saying that working practices are going to change, aren't they? They're saying that uh, working from home is going to be a much more common thing now. We've, we've experimented with it. We've tr- it's become tried and tested, you could say, I suppose. And so uh, we're going to do a lot more working from home. And maybe that's where you're at as well. Well, what about the church? Are we going to do worship uh, at home as well? To uh, argue with you from Scripture tonight that there is a scriptural basis for physically gathering together as the Lord's people. And so let me bring you then to our text here tonight. Hebrews 10, 24. Let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching. I want to build a case tonight for gathering for worship. Now, this is where we want to go as, as the restrictions are lifted, all being well, the Lord allowing. And so I want to gather our thoughts under two headings again uh, this evening. We happen to have two this morning. We have two again this evening. And the first is simply this, the command to gather. The command to gather. The text is very simple there in verse 25. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as is the manner of some. 
So the writer of Hebrews is saying to these uh, Christian people, now make sure that you do not stop meeting together. And I presume that he has particularly in mind the times they would gather on the Lord's day. The negative implies the positive. They are to gather together. God's people in their various locations then and now are to meet together to worship God. It's a, it's a simple command, and it's backed up by many scriptures, both by way of instruction and example. And so I want to take you uh, to some of those scriptures this evening, and I want to start in the Old Testament. You see, uh, throughout history, uh, it has been the habit of God's people to gather for acts of worship. Are you familiar with that kind of language? When we think about worship, it's a big subject. We're only just touching on, on aspects of it tonight. But there, there is such a thing as an act of worship. I know there are those, and, and it's true that all the Christian life is, is worship. Yes, that's true. But we must jealously guard the, the idea and the doctrine of an act of worship. There is a, a place and a time for a breaking our normal routine of life, uh, pushing out, as it were, the world and distracting thoughts and focusing in upon God Himself. An act of worship, something very deliberate and conscious in a particular location, at a particular time. Well, let me build the case with you then uh, tonight. Let me take you to uh, the patriarchal period, first of all, just briefly. You remember uh, Father Abraham, and we read these words in Genesis chapter 12, and uh, there in verse 8, Genesis 12, verse 8, Abraham uh, moved from there, it says, to a mountain east of Bethel, and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. There he built, this is the important thing, he built an altar to the Lord and called on the name of the Lord. Now that's the language of worship, to call upon the name of the Lord. He builds an altar, he engages in sacrifice as they were instructed to do in the Old Testament period. And he calls, he's deliberate. He's very conscious about this, and he, he brings his family together with him to do this, to call upon the name of the Lord. They gathered together for that purpose. Or let me give you another example, another patriarch, uh, our father uh, Jacob, uh, spiritual father that is, uh, in uh, chapter uh, 35 of Genesis, chapter 35. And we read there in verses 2 and 3 that Jacob said to his household and to all who were with him, put away the foreign gods that are among you, purify yourselves and change your garments. Let us arise and go up to Bethel. Interesting, this Bethel again features here. And I will make an altar there to God who answered me in the day of my distress and has been with me in the way in which I have gone. Now you hear what Jacob is saying there. He's calling his family together. He's saying, now come on, let's get rid of, of our lax ways and even our idolatrous. Amazing, isn't it? That, it, that within the patriarchal family, uh, Jacob has to say to his uh, family, let's get rid of these idols. 
Let's purge ourselves. Let's gather together to worship God. There's teaching there, isn't there, for fathers who are heads of homes uh, to, to do this. Uh, I, I think it's a, it's a, a duty and a, and a responsibility and a privilege of Christian fathers and husbands to, to have times of family worship. We see it patterned for us here in Scripture. But they could not do otherwise, other than the family context then, uh, that that was the limit of uh, the people who feared the Lord. And so they go and they worship the Lord together. They gather together as a family. They go up, they build an altar, they call upon the name of the Lord again. And then uh, we can go on in, in Old Testament history, and let's go to, uh, to the time of Moses. And it's very interesting as we move into the book of Exodus to see, you remember how God appears to Moses at the burning bush and sends him back to Egypt to command Pharaoh to let the people of Israel go. And, and what's the reason that is given to Pharaoh that he should let the people of Israel go? Well, here we read in Exodus chapter 5 and uh, uh, verse 1, Moses and Aaron went in and told Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, Let my people go, that they may hold a feast to me in the wilderness. What's that? Well, it's the language of worship again. Let my people go, that they might go out of the land of Egypt and go to a place where I will call them and I will meet with them, and there they will hold a feast. There they will worship me. They will be gathered together to do this. Uh, you have it even more clearly described in chapter 7 of Exodus and verse 17. Again, as Moses goes in uh, to Pharaoh, you shall say to him, verse six, sorry, Genesis 7, verse 16, you shall say to him, the Lord God of the Hebrews has sent me to you, saying, Let my people go, that they may serve me in the wilderness. That's what God wanted His people to do, to serve Him, to worship Him. It's the language of worship. And then we, we know the history, don't we, that as the people of Israel are brought out of Egypt and they go into the wilderness and they're brought to Mount Sinai, there God meets with them. He gives them His law, and He commands them that when they go into the promised land, and when they are established as a nation there, that God will set a place among them, a place where He is to be worshipped. And three times a year, they are to come together to worship God in that place. Of course, it became Jerusalem. The people of God were commanded to gather together to worship him. And we have in our Bibles, in the center of our Bibles, this beautiful book, the book of Psalms. We all love the book of Psalms. It speaks to us. It is our heart language. The psalm for every occasion, isn't there? And, and what are the Psalms for? They are to, for, for God's people to sing God's praise as they gather together for worship. And we have read this evening one of those Psalms, Psalm 122. It's part of the songs of a sense. Many commentators think, we can't be sure, but it, 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 it has a strong appeal uh, that these psalms were written, perhaps, for the pilgrims going up for those annual feasts. 
You can imagine them coming out of their homes and, and the little family groups gathering together and they were going to go on a journey. And they, as they journeyed along, there were these pilgrim songs that uh, brought, took them along the way. Uh, I used to uh, sometimes, when we were in Scotland in the church there, we would uh, sometimes go for a, a midnight hike. It would be around this time of the year when it was light for, uh, for quite a long time, a very little darkness there. And uh, so around the longest day, we'd go for a hike. And as you're going along, if you need to uh, chivy along the youngsters, you might have a, have a song to sing or a, a poem to recite or something like that. And these pilgrim psalms, for the people of God as they're gathering together and coming up to worship the Lord. And that very psalm, Psalm 122, describes the, the delight and the, uh, the spirit of worship that is found in such people. I was glad, David says, glad when they said to me, let us go into the house of the Lord. You hear the language there? Let us go. Let's go together. Let's be together. Let's go up to the house of the Lord. Let's worship Him together. Well, there's a brief, very brief survey of, of this theme from the Old Testament. But then, then let's come on into the New Testament. And let's begin with the example of the Lord Jesus Christ Himself. We know that He Himself would go up uh, with His family from Nazareth and to Jerusalem and they would observe the annual feasts. But not only that, by, by that time, uh, synagogue worship has become uh, the pattern of the Jewish people. And on a weekly basis then, God's people would gather together uh, Sabbath, by, Sabbath day by Sabbath day. And they would worship God in the synagogues. And the Lord Jesus, we find Him often, don't we? In the synagogues, in the, in the Gospels. This was the pattern of our Savior, God incarnate. He is pleased to go together with the people of God. And those synagogue uh, services of worship became the pattern for the New Testament church. So much of what we do uh, is modeled upon, still upon synagogue worship. But even more so than this, we uh, are encouraged to gather for worship by the words of the Lord Jesus. When I told someone, a dear friend of mine, that I was going to be preaching on this theme, he said, oh, make sure you mention the promise of the Lord Jesus Christ in Matthew chapter 18, 20. And of course, it was already there, but oh, I was so glad that he underlined it. And I want to underline it for you tonight uh, to encourage us to think in these terms, the importance of gathering for worship. What does the Lord Jesus say? For where two or three are gathered together in my name, I am there in the midst of them. Isn't that wonderful? To think that the Lord Jesus is here with us tonight by His Spirit. He has promised that is the case, and He will not let us down to be gathered in His name, it's again, this is worship. It's not uh, Christians gathered for a, a Saturday afternoon barbecue uh, or, or a game of badminton. But this is, in, to gather in His name is to gather with this determination to worship Him, to call upon the name of the Lord. So the Lord Jesus Christ has promised that where we gather together, 
You see, he is expecting his people to do this. This is the pattern that has been set for us in the Word of God. And may I further underline it by drawing your attention to to what the Lord Jesus did in the resurrection. Maybe you've reflected upon this, maybe you haven't, but I think it is surely significant uh, to recognize that the Lord Jesus met with his disciples in that upper room. First of all, on that first resurrection day, you remember John tells us in his gospel, chapter 20, that on that same day, the resurrection day at evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut, where the disciples were, what? Assembled for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in the midst and said to them, Peace be with you. The Lord Jesus puts his stamp of approval upon their assembling together. But do you remember someone was absent? Who was that? Well, it was Thomas, wasn't it? One of the twelve was not there. And even though the, his, his brothers uh, told him that they had seen the risen Christ, he continued in a state of fear and unbelief for another week until the following Lord's Day, with the ex- inclusive counting of, uh, of Jewish, the, the Jewish way of counting, we're told in that very same chapter in verse 26, after eight days, his disciples were again inside and Thomas was with them. There they are. They're assembled together on another first day. And the Lord Jesus comes to them. He meets with them. They, we, we, we presume that they hadn't seen him in the intervening period. We're not told that they, he, he appeared to them. But here he comes now again to the assembly of God's people. What is he showing us? Surely this, this, in this for me, that would be enough in itself to persuade me that the gathering together of the Lord's people is something that the Lord Jesus delights in. He loves to come and make his presence known and felt where his people are gathered together. And and so we go on and the book of Acts tells us how it was for the early church and how they continually met together and had such joy and delight in the Lord. You remember in Acts chapter 2, They would even daily meet together. They continued daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house. They ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart. There was such a vibrancy to the church in those days. They loved to be together, to share together in the things of the Lord. They loved nothing more than to be with their brothers and sisters. The world didn't understand them. The world scorned them. The world hated them. But to be with their brothers and sisters and to be in those places where God would come, where Christ would draw near by his, his Spirit. And we find then that this was the pattern established by the apostles. And so we, we see this pattern throughout Scripture. And yet, as we come back to our text this morning, as we come back to the exhortation here in Hebrews 10.25, Something has happened. Why would it be necessary for the writer of this letter to have to say to these early Christians that they are not to forsake the assembling of themselves together? Why would that be necessary? Well, the answer is obvious, isn't it? 
that they had begun to become lax in this pattern, in this matter. And it fits with the spiritual condition of the people who were the recipients of this letter. They had grown spiritually discouraged. They had grown cold and and dull in their Christian lives. They had become backslidden. And that's the whole thrust of the letter to the Hebrews is uh, to uh, encourage them and and to bring them back again to uh, delight in the things of the Lord. They, They had taken their eye of Christ. Perhaps they had lost sight of the spiritual glories of the New Testament church. These are Jewish people. They had, before their conversion, they perhaps had grown up used to temple worship. And now they had their Christian assemblies. And when, if you just look at the two things, the, the, the magnificence of the temple and, and their little homes or schools or wherever, wherever it was that they met, and you looked at it on an, on an earthly uh, level, the, the, there was no comparison. The grandeur, the magnificence of that temple in Jerusalem and all the drama that goes with it, the high priest and all the other priests in their priestly clothes, all the activity taking place, the hustle and bustle, the, the sacrifices being performed, the smoke going up, the incense being offered, and it all seems so, uh, so wonderful in a sense, so, so dramatic, so impressive. You remember how the disciples themselves drew attention of the Lord Jesus to the stones of the temple. What a great building this was. And so you could understand how these Jewish Christians, they've, they've moved away from that. They've, they've moved into, into Christian worship, and yet as they become discouraged, perhaps intimidated, scorned by fellow Jews who are not believers, they begin to wonder, well, have we lost something in our Christian worship? And, and the letter is to encourage them that, that Christ is the fulfillment of all of those things. He is the temple. He is the high priest. He is the sacrifice. He is all in all. We have the fulfillment. It would be a backward step then to go back to the temple. Well, I I mustn't get carried away with telling you what Hebrews is all about. But you see, I'm putting it within the context, uh, this, this exhortation here. And so what we're seeing is that it is possible uh, for Christian people to take their eye off the ball, to lose connection with uh, the, the, the spiritual realities and glories of the gospel and of Christ, and to become discouraged. And perhaps in that state of discouragement, to begin to, to cease assembling together. And so we come back to our present state and where we're at as Christian churches in this present crisis. Well, now we've been forced to uh, not be able to be meeting together as we would desire. I know there have been those who have said that we shouldn't obey uh, the the, the commands, and some have seen it as as persecution. It's not persecution. Uh, We are simply seeking uh, to uh, fulfill our part of the of, of, of our role within society to, to limit the spread of this contagion. But now as, 
in God's mercy as, as we are brought through this and as we, uh, those restraints, God willing, are lifted from us, uh, we, we are faced with the question, well, what, how, what are we going to do? I, I've, I know that some Christians, and in all honesty, have said to me, well, well it's quite comfortable now to, to stay at home on a, on a Sunday morning or a Sunday evening. Uh, there's a temptation there uh, to, even when the restrictions are lifted, to carry on just viewing online. It's a lot easier. But I've been making the case with you tonight that when these restrictions are, are lifted from us, we, we must not neglect this most essential of things for the Christian church, this assembling together. Even if we don't understand fully the reasons why we ought to do this, the fact that it is commanded us in Scripture ought to be enough. But I want us this evening, just briefly as we draw towards a conclusion, uh, to encourage us in this direction with our second thought. So first of all, yes, we are commanded to gather, but we also see here that there is a benefit from gathering. The benefit of gathering together. Now, now look with me here at the context in which we find this exhortation. Go back up to verse 22, first of all. This is what he says. Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith. He wants them to be strong Christians. Not doubting, not wavering. He wants them to be those who, in verse 23, are holding fast the confession of our hope without wavering. This is his concern. He wants bold Christians. He wants strong Christians. He wants assured Christians. Not arrogant, but assured, confident of the things that have been promised to us because he who promised is faithful. And it's within that context then that we get to verses 24 and 25 where he exhorts them, let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works. And Verse 25, to exhort one another. And it's in that context then that we find this command not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together. So do you see the point that he's making? That for us to be strong, bold, assured Christians, part of the way in which that is brought about in our lives is this assembling together. There is a benefit from doing so that strengthens us in our Christian lives and enables us to go on. Well, let me tease that out a little bit in this way. I want us to think about the benefits we give, first of all. Did you think I would start with the benefits that we gain? Well, we'll get to that in a moment. But I want us to think about the benefits that we give to others when we meet together. We must break free from any selfish thinking in this matter. We must not be like that uh, Christian that was reported going out of a church uh, one Sunday morning saying, well, uh, there was nothing in that for me or, or I didn't get anything out of that. 
Oh, what a, what a poor attitude. Maybe we have all fallen into it at times. God forgive us for it. We, we're Christians. We believe in the importance of serving others, of giving. Our Savior gave Himself for us. And so we need to consider one another, he says. Think about one another. How can I be of help, of benefit to my brothers and sisters? It's not just about me and what I get out of gathering for worship. What can I give, first of all? Well, what can we give? Well, we can give so many things and so much benefit by being present, just simply by being present with the people of God when we're allowed to do so. It's so encouraging to see one another, just to see fellow believers. This isn't difficult. You don't need to be uh, gifted in, in some great way. You know, some Christians say, well, I don't know what, what gifts I have, and I don't know how I can serve the Lord. Well, never mind about all of that now. Just think about this fact. You, you can get yourself to church, can you not? If you can do that, then you can serve your brothers and sisters. Just by being present, you will be an encouragement to them. By being Present, we can encourage by being vocal when, when our restrictions are easy. Isn't it lovely? It's the first time we've been allowed, I've been allowed to, to sing in, in church. I think it's the first time here as well, isn't it? Um, uh, for, for all these months. And we were actually able to sing, albeit somewhat muffled uh, under our, our masks and so on. But, but what a blessing it is. Don't, have, you ever, have you ever found, it, found this in a, in a church where you're near to someone who is clearly uh, rejoicing in the Lord, in the hymn that they're singing, and they're singing it with all their heart, whether they're singing it tunefully or not, doesn't really matter. You can see it on their face. They're full of the joy of the Lord, and it lifts your spirit. It gives you encouragement and, and strength. Well, you see, that's what we're talking about here. Don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together, because, because you can minister to one another by being, by being vocal. And my dear brothers and sisters here, uh, would you encourage the preacher by saying amen at the end of the prayer? I, I, I think it ought to be the experience of, of every Christian to have to stand in a pulpit and lead God's people in prayer. Because to do so requires a lot of spiritual energy. The preacher, the, the one leading in prayer, and the prayer meetings, it's the same. When we, we pour out our hearts in prayer, if there's no amen, oh, it can be such a, a deflating of the balloon, if you like, for the one that's, that's poured their heart out in prayer. God's people encourage one another. They're vocal. <laughs> They're certainly vocal at the football pitch, aren't they? And, and the world understands the importance of, you know, you can have a very mediocre football team, but if they're playing at home and they're, 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 uh, cr the crowd is there, the, their supporters are there, and they're singing the, the, the praise of their players and urging them on, it raises their, their level, doesn't it? And they can, they can overcome opponents who might be far more skilled, but because this team is playing on home turf, they're, they're lifted up. And that's, the world understands that. Do we understand that as Christian people? We can minister to one another in these, in these ways. Don't, let's not be ashamed of this. Let's not be ashamed of our Christianity when we're, we're free of all these restrictions. Let's be vocal in uh, serving and worshiping the Lord. Well, benefits we can give by meeting together, being present, being vocal, being friendly. Oh, it can be such an encouragement just to see a friendly face and to have 
Do you remember what it was like to have handshakes? <laughs> it's all this elbow thing now, isn't it? Well, we're going to get back to handshakes, I hope. And maybe a hug or two, or maybe even a holy kiss. Well, we better, we better not get too carried away here. But, but what an encouragement it can be for some, some friendly contact, one with another. You won't get that on Zoom. You're not going to get that on, on YouTube. How important it is. A hug, a smile. And, then, and we can encourage one another by being thoughtful as, as we meet together, maybe before or after the service, uh, engaging in conversation. How are you today? How, how, how's how's your, your sick aunt or, 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 or the, the troubles you've got at work? How are things going? And, and it's so, so encouraging, isn't it, to know that there are brothers and sisters who care, who are praying, and, and to, to speak together. But you can't get that online. These online churches, how, okay, maybe they can have an online chat, but it's nowhere near as significant as it is when we're together, face-to-face, meeting one another. <laughs> you ask a couple who are in love whether they'll be happy to have a, 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 a romantic meal over Zoom, you know? He, he's in London and, and she's in Edinburgh. They can both set out a table. They can both have a rose there. Are they going to be content with that? No. No. They want to be together. If we love one another, we want to be together. We minister to one another in this way. And furthermore, we can be of benefit to one another by being concerned. This is taking it more than just being thoughtful. But look at what he says there in verse 25. I don't think I'm very good at this. And I don't think there are many Christians who are. But this exhorting one another. We're all a bit too timid, aren't we? Afraid of treading on one another's toes. But if we really love one another, we'll show it by exhorting one another. Now, how is it with you, brother? Are you growing cold in your faith? I noticed you weren't at the prayer meeting on Wednesday night. Well, uh, is there something wrong? Are you, are you growing cold? Uh, come on, we need to stir one another up. Exhorting one another, showing concern for one another. The Apostle Paul paints a lovely picture of the, the functioning of, of, of the, the Christian church. In Ephesians chapter 4, um, and he talks there of how the Lord Jesus gives, the head of the church, he gives gifts uh, to, to ministers in the church so that the saints will be equipped for the work of ministry, so that the body of Christ is, is edified, built up. And he speaks like this at the end of that particular passage. As Christ from whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies according to the effective working by which every part does its share. Isn't that lovely? Everyone playing a part in the functioning of the local church causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. Well, these are the benefits, some of the benefits that we can give. Consider one another Gathering together, so important. And let me just conclude with the benefits that we, we gain. Of course, all the things that we've just said about giving, uh, they, they can then be turned around and we benefit uh, the, from those things ourselves by, by seeing one another and hearing one another and so on. Uh, but let me make these uh, little points here before we're done. Uh, the benefits that we gain as we meet together, it keeps us from growing cold. 
I, I used this analogy, um, I preached this message back home uh, last week, and I used this analogy of a coal fire, and, and someone said to me afterwards, well, you're, you're going to have to start explaining what, what coals are, because nobody has coal fire. We still have barbecues, don't we? We know what coals are. Uh, so you've got a coal fire, and whilst all the coals are there together, they, they're... they're um, the heat is shared and it's, it's intense. You take one of those coals out of the fire and you place it over there on that concrete slab and it won't be too long before it grows cold. And there's a spiritual uh, picture there. By being together, coals in a fire, we, we keep one another fervent in the Lord. If you don't think you need your Christian brothers and sisters, then my dear friend, you are self-deceived. We need one another. That's the Lord's pattern for the church. Uh, these benefits that we gain, so it keeps us from growing cold, helps us to keep going. Someone in my congregation said to me, in fact, a number of things said to me uh, in recent times, we feel we need to be, to be stirred up. Everything seems to have died down under this uh, COVID and all the restrictions. I feel we need to be stirred up. Well, here is part of the way that that stirring up happens through the meeting together. This is the language of, of, of this passage, verse 24. Consider one another in order to stir up love and good works. Well, we must close. It keeps us focused. There's the final thing I'm going to say um, that helps us in our Christian lives by gathering together. It keeps us focused. Look at the end of verse 25. So much the more as you see the day approaching. Now, what day is that? Well, it's the judgment day. It's the return of Christ. And our weekly Lord's Days on these little oases, I like to think of it in this way, that we're in the wilderness of this world. It's a barren desert wilderness. But we travel uh, Sunday by Sunday. We, we travel along and we have these little oases when we meet together. And our meetings together as the Lord's people are a little foreshadowing of the great assembly that will come to pass when Christ returns. And we shall be with all the saints throughout all the ages to worship Christ forever. And, and so when we assemble together as God's people on the Lord's day, we, we, we are reminding of our, ourselves of this context. We're Christian pilgrims on a journey. We're, we're not settling here. This is not our home. We're on a journey. The day is coming. Christ's return is round the corner, and we help one another to keep focused on that by assembling uh, together. Well, friends, may the Lord apply His Word to our hearts tonight, and may we be encouraged and uh, exhorted and challenged, maybe corrected, whatever we need as the Lord applies His Word to our hearts. Glorious things of Thee are spoken, Zion City of our God. He whose word cannot be broken formed thee for his own abode. Uh, the hymn of uh, John Newton, uh, number th 333 in uh, Christian hymns. And so we'll draw our service to a conclusion as we stand together and worship him in this hymn.
Gracious God, we thank you for the wonderful grace that you have shown to us in the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you for calling us out of darkness into your marvelous light and making us citizens of the kingdom of God, living stones in the temple of God, children in the family of God. Help us, O Lord, to see our privileges, to delight in them, and to see what a blessing it is when the people of God gather together. So, Lord, encourage your people in this place. Lead them out of these times into days of great blessing in the coming weeks and months and years. And grant, O Lord, that this city may tremble and shake at the power of the gospel as it is proclaimed. Now may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen.